right. Hello and welcome. Today I'm talking with Jacob Suko. He is the founder of his own podcast called The Great Escape and a company called Email Empire. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you for joining me so early in the day. I wanted to start off with a different question. Usually I ask for people's origin story, but I want to try something different. The question is, who are you currently working with and what are you currently working on? Yeah, for sure. So folks that I'm working with right now as primarily solopreneurs, right? So whether they be founders on the SaaS or the e-com side of things, or they'd be service providers, consultants, coaches on the B2B side of things. Those are the folks that I'm working with. And what we're working on is helping all of those people build an ecosystem that's fully automated, caters to their customers, and creates an environment that people want to walk into, stay engaged with, and purchase from again and again and again. To where we're focusing and shifting our focus from acquisition which has been a great place to be in the past five to seven years and more so focused on lifetime value when all kinds of different paid channels are becoming more and more unreliable. Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. We originally connected on Slack because I noticed you were doing a lot of work in the nurturing space, particularly with email. And I feel like that's a really underappreciated and underserved area. So yeah, looking forward to some of the insights you can share with us today. Quick question. What do you see as being a big difference between SaaS nurturing and services nurturing, or are they the same? Yeah, the best part about SaaS and what the biggest difference is, is that retention is so much more important, right? Retention is important for everyone, especially if you have multiple offers, if you have a membership or whatever else it may be. But SaaS as a model, right, is based on how long does it take for us to get to net positive on a customer? right? We may have to pay more in acquisition. It may take more work. We're competing more, right? We've got a lot more overhead than a lot of other places may have. And so it's really, really important to figure out from an equation standpoint, like what's the length and time in membership or in purchase time for most cases that we need to hit consistently in order to maintain a healthy margin on the services and the software that we're selling in that process, right? And the other thing too is then it means that the nurturing process is so much more ongoing, right? Obviously, you have to talk to everyone all the time, no matter what it is that you're selling to your list. And it's a great way to keep engaged with your audience. But when it comes to SaaS, it's really difficult because most users are so out of touch with the platforms that they're using at any given time. And they tend to only know about 15 to 20% of what they could be getting and using, right? And so there's a really big opportunity to use what we would call infotainment, right? In the info products world to where we're educating folks in a way that's entertaining enough to get them to actually read it, right? Because even if you've got this great site library going on and all these resources and articles they can refer to, the amount of your customers that actually click through and read all of those every single time is very nil, you know? And if you can get ahead of that and help them prevent any problems that they might run into as they're trying to get the most out of the service that they're purchasing from you, it makes a world of difference in what your customer perception is. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. In terms of the emails, topics that you're sending, do you find that they're very different between SaaS and services? Or is it basically still the same thing here that you're focusing on increasing the engagement with the tool? Yeah. So it's a little bit different, right? Because on the services side of things, the personal brand is so much more heavy, especially when it comes to SaaS, when folks are determined on scaling or whatever else it may be. Granted, in my world, and I'm working with founders and solo-led teams and really small, lean places, we get away 
with a little bit more of relying and leaning on the story building in public and all of the organic grassroots kind of hype that goes along with that. But working with bigger companies, what I've noticed is that it requires a little bit more focus on what you're able to give back to your users regularly, right? So think bigger company, bigger budget, bigger audience and user base. You need to do larger scale things in order to show up in front of those folks, right? So on the SaaS side of things, it's a lot more about events. It's a lot more about showing your audience different ways that they could be thinking about the processes that you're helping them make more efficient along the way, right? Panels, not only showing you as an expert inside of your industry, which can be much easier to get people to follow along with, but really taking the brand of the company as a whole and positioning that as something that's making a lot of change, disrupting, bringing a new perspective to light to some extent, right? So instead of just being so focused on features or a newsletter or whatever else it may be, we got to think outside of the box a little bit, right? A couple of great examples are content curation. So that if you know you're selling to sales ops teams, okay, great. They need to understand more about how they can use your tool most efficiently. But what other lateral and parallel subjects can we talk about on the sales ops side of things that might be able to help with them, right? Can we give them curated news about other things that they may care about or they may be paying attention to? How do we show up in that space so that we're just more top of mind every single time somebody thinks about whatever area it is that we're able to help with, make more efficient, bring in new processes, things like that. Got it. Before we get into a bit of the long tail nurturing sequence, be interesting to sort of tackle, I guess, more of the beginning stage. So if you're imagining a SaaS tool that has a freemium model, it's probably usage-based pricing, say it's about $99 a month, something around this, once it's paid, you're getting free trial signups. What should you be doing first in terms of your emails? Yeah, two things. It's engagement, first and foremost, no questions asked. And then secondary after engagement, it's usage. Because in that 14 to 15, 30 day long free trial, I mean, I'm you know guilty of doing this myself. If they only hop into the platform once or twice, the odds of you retaining that customer are very, very little, right? And so on the engagement side of things, showing them that there's a dedicated team on the other side of this tool of actual people that they can reach out to, have conversations with, get the most out of the platform by learning from is absolutely massive for what their perception is of that brand long term. Right. So finding ways to ask them simply, and this is a great way to get qualitative customer feedback research too on the marketing side of things, but asking them like, Hey, listen, what's the biggest problem that you signed up for to help us right here? Right. It's a great way to segment your list, but it's also a really good way to get to know know and understand your customers. And if, again, let's go with the sales ops example, right? Let's say the biggest thing that they have an issue with is forecasting and tracking pipeline over a 12 to 18 month sales cycle. And they just don't like all the other tools that are out there. And if they tell you that, hey, listen, my biggest problem is accuracy over these long term deals, right? Because so many different things go awry. We've got all this historical data, but I've got no way to be able to relay that into the way that my system is forecasting over the long run. And let's say that you have a feature that takes historical data that says actually deals that are longer than 18 months tend to have a 13% success rate over X, Y, and Z plus this and this. And if they don't know that that's a feature, or even if they do, if they haven't come forth and said and acknowledged that this is my biggest problem, then the odds of them getting interactive with the platform to solve it are so much less. Whereas if you get them to tell you that and you respond with a singular email or a manual email from someone on your team that says, oh, I totally get that. We actually have a ton of folks come on that with that problem. I'd love to help you on the onboarding side of things and see if there's any way that we can show you how to fix that fast. 
right? Get them a quick win as fast as humanly possible. So they make the sticky association with you moving forward on solving that problem instead of just being another subscription, a tool that they have to manage or anything along those lines. Yeah, before this interview, I actually, um, I had a look through my email list because I sign up to a lot of tools to sort of review them. And I noticed that they're all different strategies that people are using. Some are using the questions, but most Mm -hmm. seem to be hitting me with one or two tutorials, and then they sort of share their greatest hit contents. But I guess what you're saying here is within that window of the free trial, you're looking to get that engagement straight away. So be asking questions like, what is it that you're working on? What did you need the tool for? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because if the way that we look at it over the long term, right, is if you get someone to convert to a paid user, typically that's going to be the highest hurdle that you have to overcome from a customer standpoint, right? In comparison, retention is easy. You know, when we're able to focus on retention and churn, we've got so many more variables that we're able to control to try and maintain that bottom line. But on the front end, for every free paid user, whatever else it may be, you know, conversion rates tend to be relatively low in that arena, right? And, and that's just nature of the beast. There's so many tools out there. We're so busy. We don't have time to interact with them, whatever else it may be. The goal of their entire trial period is to get them to their first paid month. That's it. Nothing else after that. I don't care what they're going to be doing with the software seven months from now. I don't care what features they'll be using nine months from now when they know how it works and they're super familiar and they're diving deep. They showed up with an urgent problem that needs to be solved. Let's figure out how to get them to the feature or the benefit or the solution that solves that as fast as possible and get them using it. Because then we make this association of, again, this is here to solve a problem. This is not a sales ops software tool that helps save me an hour or two a week. No. This makes sure that I've got accurate forecasting data over the long term. And that's a much more sticky position to be able to hold in the market from your customer's perspective. Got it. So what we're looking at here is first focus on getting that engagement in terms of asking the question. Then you're also trying to prompt the first aha moment in terms of maybe you know that this particular use case is the most prominent, most popular, fastest to get to. And then that's the bit that you're really promoting in your emails to get people to engage with. Is that right? Yeah, hundred percent. And like you mentioned, the greatest hits in the content route is a great way to go, but it's useless if you don't know what content they want to see. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we understand that there's three core problems, let's say that most folks show up with when they are looking and evaluating your SaaS tool, then we want to make sure that we've got sequences that drip out that focus on those three core problems. Because if someone replies and they say, hey, this is my biggest problem, or it's a part of their onboarding, that they're getting content that's super relevant to them, right? Because typically when we're talking about SaaS tools, there's very few of them that are so locked down and niche that there isn't any flexibility in the way that they're used, right? Typically, there's a broad set of features in some extent, and one subset is going to be much more valuable to one person in comparison to this one over here for another, right? It serves the same purpose, right? And it says, okay, how do we segment our audience to understand what problems they have, right? Because that's what we should be looking at is not what features or benefits they care about. What problems do they want solved? And let's show them exactly how they can bridge that gap with what we have here, right? Because then your content library doesn't just become this FAQ style resource that someone can search up and it shows up in their Google search, right? It becomes a tool for you to create a different experience for every single customer that you have, 
right? It's beautiful because as we start to determine out what, you know, maybe let's say it's five segments, six segments, seven segments. Well, it's as simple as changing up the sequence in regards to which content pieces are included for that in order to give a fully personalized experience that means the world to your customer and only takes an extra hour and a half on your team's end to keep that scaled out over the long run, right? So the investment up front is, is very minimal. It's just a slight shift in perspective in how we want to go and approach onboarding. And, and I agree with you, right? Onboarding is typically the area where there's the most opportunity for improvement when it comes to any SaaS tool. Got it. There's a lot of things to get into there. I really like the point about, you know, make sure that you're segmenting the users coming in so that you can send them the best use case to get them into that really quickly. How intense do you go about this? So I'm assuming there are some people who are of the school of thought, like send people an email every day because they're going to miss some of them and they're not going to open all of them. Mm -hmm. Then there are probably other people who say like, don't send them every day because otherwise they'll learn to not open your emails. (laughs) When it comes to... In this particular case, we're going to go into SaaS, but when it comes to a SaaS tool, I would imagine that the actual window for you to catch somebody's interest is very small. I know when I'm looking at tools, I'm, I'm in and out in a day. I probably made a choice in three days. How do you make up for that on, on email? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing when it comes to frequency, it's, and it's a really simple answer that for whatever reason doesn't come up often, is to ask your customers, ask your audience, ask the people who are already paying, Right. Go back and say, hey, listen, I I know you've been with us for a while, and I've got to imagine that our onboarding process has changed significantly since then. And what we're trying to do is to make it as optimized and efficient and helpful as possible for all of our new users. If you don't mind my asking, like when you first signed up, would it have been helpful to get an email every single day for a week that would have shown you how this, this, and this, and use surveys? Because the frequency thing is totally dependent on your audience, right? Now, the counterpoint that you mentioned about training them not to read your emails is typically the biggest reservation most folks have to mail in more often, right? And my counter question to that is always, how often do you read the things that you enjoy, right? If you like reading the news, you typically probably do it just about every day. And then my other question is you check your inbox every single day, right? And chances are you do because 99% of all folks in the Western world who have an email account, check it every single day. So if they check it every single day, and we're typically hitting 30 to 40% of our audience based on open rates and click-throughs every time we send an email. Well, if we're not sending every day, we're missing about half of our customers, right? Even if you've got a 70% plus open rate, you're still missing a third of your customers every single time you mail. And the same ones aren't going to open every single email, right? So statistically, Mailing more often is just about the only way that we can assure that we're actually getting in front of as much of our audience as possible. When we're mailing once a week, let's say they only get two or three emails in a month-long onboarding process, because you've only talked to a third of your customers, you know? And, and in that position, like, who are you helping then? We're ignoring and neglecting our audience at that point. Now, what you can do, if you're worried about having backlash for sending more often, is just simply to give them an option. There's not a single email service provider out there where you cannot apply a tag based on a click or a custom field or something along those lines where you can ask this person in their onboarding and say, we like to be really involved as people are trying out our product because we totally understand that there's a few different ways to use it. And I want to make sure it's a great fit for you before you make a decision. That said, this is pretty involved as far as an onboarding or sequence or emails or whatever else it may be go. So I want to know, would it be easier to get everything in a once weekly digest 
does it make the most sense for you to receive these two to three days a week? Like, how do you like to get email? Or do you want short, quick hits every single morning on the weekday for this entire process? And you can always ask, or I would give people the option and the preference. Got it. Super cool. I know there's going to be a group of people who are probably going to say, you know, taking the time to do this research is going to, it's going to be a bit of a delay in taking action on some of this advice. Yeah. So say you had to come up with a, yeah, with an approach to apply here before you know this information, would you suggest then, as you mentioned, you know, mailing every day, giving people the option to, to lower the volume of emails until you can get that feedback? Yeah, tenfold, right? Because you'll see it within two weeks. If you onboard 100 new free trials and 67 of them tell you that they only want to receive the emails once a week, but you've got statistical significant <laughs> data, right? Like we know. If we mail every single day and only five to 10 people choose to opt out, then we're probably at more of a benefit just to send more often because it's going to be negligent in the amount of folks that we save, right? And so just by defaulting to that, you'll find out what your audience wants to see relatively quickly, right? Like the, the point that you mentioned about there being a gap in customer research and application, the thing is we don't have to create a perfect experience. It's just, is it constantly evolving, right? As we're finding out new things and new pieces of data and new trends, are we acting on that? Your customers are going to understand that there's humans behind this company, right? Like that they, we are so much less judgmental than we think when it comes to the customer experience and what we have, as long as there's transparency there, you know? And so let's say you start mailing daily and three weeks later, you lose 10% of your list and you come back and you say, hey, listen, like, we sent out a ton of emails and it definitely seems like that was way too much, way too high of a frequency for most people. I totally understand that. And because of what we've seen, we're going to make a change and do X, Y, and Z instead. And you're going to preserve every single one of those folks that sit on your list, at least a large majority of them, simply because they know that you're going to be customer focused, right? It's what everybody's most concerned about when it comes to SaaS tools and technology is, are they going to listen to customer feedback? right? It's the biggest reassurance tool and upsell opportunity and retention method that anyone can have is that if they see an active community based around this software, this tool, this technology, that's actually having a significant impact on further dev, it doesn't only have to apply to new features and benefits, right? It can apply to communication as well, you know, and that's the kind of thing that folks are really, really craving. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think everyone can think of a couple of common tools that they use daily at their work who uh, don't necessarily listen to user feedback and you wish they would. I won't name any of them right now. In terms of the contents of the emails, do you think it is useful to have an overlap in the content? So from the point of view of you open up your email inbox, you're probably looking at, say, three emails of a 14 or 10 email onboarding campaign to try and combat this is the solution to have overlap in the content or to repeat the topics? Yeah, it, it's going to depend. It's going to depend on how in-depth the usage is required to solve the problem, first and foremost, right? If you know that there's a high learning curve to the platform that you're selling, that's okay. But it does mean that you're going to need to likely have all 14 of those emails go out and make sure that you're having as much of an engagement on that as possible, because if someone misses one or two of them, it's going to be very, I don't know, it's going to be the high friction, right? That's introduced into that process from there. And so where I think that there's the most opportunity there is really just to get a good understanding of what's most important, right? Because again, 
we don't need them to know how to do what they're going to be doing seven months from now, right? We really need to drill down and say, in this 14-day trial, what does this person need to accomplish in order to convert to a paid subscriber? And if that's simply setting up their account and porting in all the integrations, if as long as they've done that work, then they'll likely convert over, then that's all we need to do, right? Because you don't only have that first 14 or 30 days inside of their trial to convert that person. Like it, you have the entire lifetime of them as a subscriber to educate them about how to use the tool most efficiently and get the best results that they can. But it's important to understand what the most likely outcome that they want is in again, inside of that trial period. Right. And a lot of times I think we get so focused on what is the long term, what's the big change and transformation. Because don't get me wrong, that's where most of the value sits, right? But as humans, like you mentioned, we've got a short attention span. We want a win fast because it doesn't matter necessarily what it is. If I feel like this tool is worthwhile, the time that I've put into it in those 14 or 30 days compared to what the subscription cost is, I'm going to pay for it. It doesn't matter if I think I'm going to use it six months from now or not, right? Whether I migrate or use something else, like that doesn't matter. You know, we'll decide that later on. And you're not going to be able to keep everyone. There's just simply different tools that are going to be a better fit for different use cases. And so if we set all of that aside and just get an understanding of how do I get each and every one of my free trials a win as fast as possible, that that's the content that we focus on, right? And again, even if it's as simple as getting everything set up and having a dashboard ready, if they haven't done any other implementation other than that, but the dashboard means that they convert at a 25 or 30% higher rate, then let's focus on that. Yeah, for sure. A lot of things to get into there. When it comes to trying to get this engagement for a particular use case, is the idea that you'll focus on one for, you know, the duration of the onboarding sequence, or if it fails, you move to the next most popular use case and then the next within a reasonable time frame. Yeah. So it's going to depend on the customer segments that you're targeting. This is why segmentation is so important, right? It's understand our three most popular use cases and problems right off the bat. Three segments. Perfect. Let's test them. What you're likely going to see is one of those three, two of those three are going to have very different engagement rates across the board. And what that'll tell you is that this one is going to be more important or more popular with a larger percentage of our audience. So perfect. If we were to have to try and figure out how to triage them, let's say, let's put the one that shows up as most important first, right? It's, let's listen again to the data and the feedback that we're getting on a regular basis, you know? And so if you've got that set up, then there really isn't a failure or a flop, right? If you learn that this angle is not important, well, then you've learned that this isn't something that people care about enough in their first few weeks of exposure within the software to go ahead and try and implement that. That's going to make us sticky over the long term, right? The nice thing is that experimentation inside of email marketing is one of the fastest ways that you can get data from your customers, from your prospects, because typically, if you've got a decent sized list of at least a few thousand, anywhere up to like 50 to 100,000, which is not uncommon in the slightest in most tools cases, you've got a massive feedback tool on a regular basis, right? And experimenting and testing isn't only A-B testing messaging and subject lines and landing pages. It's not only about the conversion. It's about engagement, right? And the goal is actually to try and figure out what doesn't land so that we can do more of what does, 
yeah, that's super actionable because based on what you've said, you could imagine somebody listening may create a new campaign, first couple of emails designed to to get that response and what people are interested in. They've they've identified it a couple a couple of segments and they're testing three different use cases, looking at the best performing one, implementing that, then perhaps even doing another couple of use cases then after that to try and keep continuing the onboarding sequence. Very cool. After they've looked at the onboarding campaign, we get more into the long, slow burn. <laughs> what content are you seeing through email performs best in terms of nurturing people? Yeah. So the best place to start is to get a really good understanding of your customer journey, right? And I know that's not a direct answer to your question, but it'll make sense in a few minutes. Because if you understand what the process looks like from start to finish for someone throughout their first year of use with your software, right? Then we've got a really good idea of what our first year of content needs to look like for most users. So this is where current and existing customer feedback is so important. Because if you decide that your tool really, you only need about a three-month consistent nurture on the back end outside of your regular newsletter content, which everyone should be putting out, then that's okay. Then what we need to do is go to every single customer who's just hit their third month and ask them and say, pull up, even if it's five to 10 people, you know, we've got this association with qualitative data that we need you to have hundreds of people inside of a test group. And that's just simply not true. We can find and infer trends based on 10 to 15, 20 responses. Are you going to be 100% accurate? No. But you're going to be a hell of a lot better than where you're at when you started if you didn't go and try and ask those questions, right? And so it's meeting time of use with the problem that they want solved, right? Because likely what's going to happen is the problems that we want solved within that first month are going to be minute in comparison to what we're looking at over 12 months. And if we're looking at a 12-month period, let's say, for example, let's go back to our sales ops tool, right? What they're going to look for is the accuracy of the forecasting at that point, right? So does this line up with what I actually hit within reasonable margin of error in comparison to what I expected? And that expected portion is key because over the lifetime of a customer and retention and churn, it doesn't matter if you're the best in the market. It's are you delivering on what your customers expect you to show up for, Right. And so if we're looking at a really good long-term nurture strategy to meet expectations, it's to do two things. So one, to continually ask what they want to see next, right? The best thing that you can ask your brand new customers is, hey, listen, this is where you're at. I love this. And I want to continue to make a great experience for you. And I know that we've got a very diverse customer base. So what I want to know is, what do you want to see next? You've got your dashboard set up. You've got three or four integrations lined up and all your APIs hooked up. And we're starting to see some forecasting on the long run. What's helpful to you now? And if we can get that kind of feedback month over month over month over month, within a year, you've got a fully curated system of what to deliver when. Now, if you're starting out, sit down and synthesize it on your own. You've likely got a relatively decent idea of what folks need to use inside of your platform or what they're looking to have solved at each point in their customer journey, right? And even if you're wrong, again, that's okay. The point is to have something in place so that we can start to gather data against that. So the best thing that we can do is look at three things, right? This is typically what breaks down when we do a funnel mapping and customer journey session. So we look at the opt-in and different traffic sources. Right. So based on the traffic source and what they chose to opt into, whatever it is that brought them into the trial, what do we know about them? Okay, Based on what we know about them, what would we have to show them likely to bridge the gap from opt in to sign up an actual trial? 
right? We've got a really good understanding on that, that folks who come from Facebook want to see this. Folks who come from our, let's say, Stack Overflow community, right? They actually want to see this. Or let's say they're inside of some sort of a Slack or sales group community and they want to see events, right? Like we've got a really good idea of what to show them on the front end. Now, once we've got a good understanding of what makes a really good and strong opt-in, that's going to really feed into the next step, which is the conversion portion that we talked about, right? It says, of everyone who's opting in and signing up for trials, we've likely got these three or four key audiences. Now, based on everyone who's signing up for trials, who's converting the most and where are they at? Perfect. So then it's breaking down what's the goal for the next stage based on your tool. Is it an upsell? Like you mentioned, is it usage-based where you've got some sort of goal to get them using the platform at a regular enough clip to where they're going to need to move into a higher tiered plan, right? Or is it more licenses? Is it trying to get more company-wide adoption based on whatever tool it is that you have? Based on the answer to that question, it's okay, cool. I know I need to serve content on what this looks like across multiple teams, right? If it's more of an adoption metric, if it's more of a usage metric, I need to show more and more and more and more use cases and case studies and different customer centric data to be able to continue to get that behavior. Now, I led with the customer journey portion because the question is, what behavior do you want your users to engage in based on where they are inside of that cycle? And if we know that, then we could serve up content that matches with that because it's likely going to be one of three things when it comes to SaaS. It's either going to be something feature and benefit focused around a different portion of the platform and how they can use it. It's going to be completely educational or it's going to be customer testimonial case study, use centric things where they can get a really good idea from someone else's perspective of how to get the most out of the platform. Or it's going to be based on ROI. And what that looks like for them, right? That says, listen, this is where you are in your journey. This is what you should be expecting. If you're not, here's a way to interact with our team, right? Well, you've kind of got those three levers to pull as a SaaS tool, whether it's going to be, again, interaction with the team and troubleshooting side of things, expanding the use cases with features or social proof of other people actually using and putting more proof behind whatever features and use cases we're sharing just from another perspective. Those are going to be like the three biggest buckets that you want to focus on over long-term nurture content there. And the other thing to keep in mind too, is like your long-term nurture content shouldn't be pre-scheduled out for a year. That's an awful way to do things because what it, if that's the only way that you're talking with folks, that means you're not adapting, right? You've got to wait a full year to see what the feedback on that entire process looks like the much better opportunity to be able to do is to have a much more active email marketing team that's mailing on a weekly, bi-weekly, three times a week basis where you're getting opportunities to get feedback regularly. Because after you've done that for three to six months, then you can create a really good long-term three to four month nurture, right? But outside of that, so much changes for each of your customers that it doesn't make sense to just simply have that automated all the way through without checking back in with them. Got it. So in order to enact that particular strategy, you would need to make sure that you have very strong segmentation so that your team can divide up the pie and make sure that they're talking to each group in the appropriate way and getting feedback if you've not automated it the whole way through. Would that be right? Yes and no. Strong segmentation is something that scares people, right? Segmentation can be difficult. It means a lot of tags, a lot of different paths, a lot of anything and everything. Segmentation can be as simple as three things. How recently did they sign up? How frequently are they engaging with our content and how much have they spent with us over their lifetime so far, right? Those are like the three core ones that we break down to. If that's the only three things that you have, fine, 
this is okay, right? If you're only customizing your onboarding content to one person, that's okay. Because what'll happen is the people that you're missing the mark on, you'll hear from, right? If you're giving opportunities for people to engage and you're not sharing content that they'd like to see more from, and you give them opportunities to tell you that they'll tell you. So you don't need to start with a strong segmentation, but you need a strategy that's based on creating strong segmentation based on the feedback that you get. Does that make sense? Because I don't ever want anyone to think that they need to have a master plan of how to divide up their customers inside of their email marketing system before they can start sending on a regular basis and get great things, right? All of this stuff comes from active adaptation. It means that you need to be sending two to three times a week to get that kind of great feedback. You need to have some sort of an automated nurture and onboarding that you're testing against. The goal isn't to have it perfect. The goal isn't to have industry standard numbers. It's to be improving those numbers as you go along. I think everyone's had the experience of ending up in tag and field hell on an email system where the segmentation is just far too difficult, or you end up with 72 different tags and they become useless at that point. Yeah, hundred percent. Over segmentation is worse than under by far, because it means that you don't have a clue of who you're actually talking to. I don't need to know every single behavior that someone has. And this is something that we've taken over from the attribution focus, right? Like we've got, so we've got a couple different subsets of digital marketers and the way that we've gone about building things out over the past 10 years. And on the paid traffic side of things, attribution is huge so that you can prove your work, prove what you're worth, track things along the way and just gather customer data. That's amazing. The goal of segmentation inside of an email marketing system is to pare it down to the absolute minimum that you need. You don't want anything more than you need set up because it means that you're going to be less productive inside of that system. It means that it's more likely to break. It means that you're more likely to have customers that get left behind because you just don't have the capacity to pay attention to that small 5% subsection of customers, right? If you're listening to this and you're noticing numbers, I've mentioned three or five segments, right? Like, like that's, I try not to go past four or five segments because at that point we're just splitting hairs. It's not productive testing. Yeah, absolutely. Coming back to something you mentioned before, you've talked a lot about getting that feedback from users and giving them a lot of opportunities. Is this as simple as, you know, putting it on the end of your email? Hey, what do you think of X, Y, and Z? Or is there a different technique that you're talking about here? Yeah, it's definitely to ask specific questions, right? So like in the onboarding process, the biggest thing that you want to understand is what do they want to see happen first, right? Like what's going to make this worth the trial period enough to make a subscription. So if that's the question you want an answer to ask, it's pinned at the bottom and it says right at the middle of your welcome email, listen, like I would love to be able to hear back from you, but the most valuable thing is for me to understand how we can make this trial as productive as possible for you. In order to do that, I've got one quick question that I'd love if you could reply to in this email. Here it is. Like make the email about the question. You know, that's actually how almost all of my welcome sequences start as we figure out what the most important piece of data to know about our customer is based on that client. We try and get it right away in the front end. And even if only 10% of people answer over a few hundred, few thousand folks, that's a lot of great qualitative data that you can have. The goal is not to stress over whether or not everybody answers the question or how many people answer the question. It's again, to make sure that we're getting that feedback and actually analyzing and acting on it, right? Because similar to any other group setting, which is what your email marketing system basically is, 
you're going to have folks who are more willing to speak up. And you're also going to have a lot of unspoken questions. And so we find the folks who are willing to give us feedback on a regular basis, and we use their feedback to create a better experience for a lot of our unspoken subscribers. Absolutely. And it's it's a great technique in general in that anytime someone responds to an email, it, it's a great bridge over to your sales team to actually say, hey, yeah. great question. How about this? Actually, we should talk more. Maybe you want to talk to this person. Yeah. And it's huge for deliverability too. So something most people don't necessarily know is you can send all the whitelisting instructions that you want. You can make it as easy as one click, whatever it is that you do. The fastest way to get somebody to have all of your emails get sent to their primary inbox is to have them reply to an email from you. Because the second they reply to an email, it's in your primary and all future emails inside of that thread and every other one that you send will go through there because you are now a contact, right? So it's, it's double-edged there. Yeah, fantastic. I don't think I've ever added someone who sent me an email like that to no. the, the whitelist personally, but I know some people do. To tie a bow on this particular campaign, when it comes to offboarding or taking people out of your email list, at what point do you think people should do that? Or do you think people should just keep them on there forever? No, no, you definitely want a clean and healthy list in the long run. So as great as it is to hold on to data, I'll tell a story to give a little bit of feedback for this. And I think I shared it when we first connected. So I've had clients who've had hundreds of thousands of folks inside of their list, all the way down to less than a thousand. And there was a particular week where we were running a couple of campaigns that were just sales focused. It was a week-long sales campaign for a brand new offer, two clients side by side. One of them had 25,000 users on their list. One of them had 5,000. And at the end of the week, we saw the same sales, both lists. Person who had 5,000 was much more adamant about cleaning their list, making sure that everyone was engaged and giving everyone an opportunity to opt out all the way along the way. You don't want as big of a list as you can have so you can play the large numbers game. It's exhausting. You want a list that is as concentrated as possible. Because in the same way that someone would rather advertise to a list of 5,000 people who've already bought a similar product, you want your email list to be the same way. I want people who want to hear from me often, who are willing to engage, because I'm going to be able to have a much higher margin revenue off of that person because they're less expensive to keep, too. You know, The amount of money that gets wasted on retargeting ads for cold subscribers is massive. It's a really quick way to run up an advertising budget, and the return is typically minimal. You know, So why be so focused on maintaining the bottom 10% of your audience when you could be focused on better serving the top 20 to 30% of folks who are on top of your list, right? So outside of that story, tactically, what that looks like is to set up two things, right? It's a lot harder with open rates now in comparison to even just six or seven months ago, right? So scrubbing your list based on open rates is not great. But one way to do it is to have a check-in if they haven't opened, clicked, or replied within X amount of time. And the funny thing is typically people look at it as like a 30, 60, 90-day rule, right? If they haven't opened or engaged in 30 days, eh, we should look at cleaning them. 60 days, okay, they get marked on a cold list. 90 days, they're out. If someone hasn't read an email for me in 30 days, they've forgotten about me, right? It's like we're looking at way too short of a time period to take action. If you wait till 30 days, the chances that you have of recovering that subscriber are so little. So the way that I have it set up when I work with my customers is every two weeks. If someone hasn't read an email from us in 14 to 18 days, then they go into what we would call like a recovery ordeal. It's not a list clean. It's not a list scrub. It's recovery. It's 
How do we figure out what's going on, why this person isn't getting our emails? And then understand, like, listen, are they just not a good fit? And if they are, let's tell them, like, hey, no hard feelings. Please go. Like, there's way too much noise here. And here's a couple of different things that you can check out instead, right? And so if you have something set up to where if someone hasn't read your emails in 14 to 15 days or 14 to 20 days, whatever it is that you want to go with, it gives you an opportunity to have a campaign where you can ask a couple of questions. Because on the front end, feedback from the highly engaged people is amazing. Feedback from people who don't enjoy what you're sending or who aren't engaging is even better. Because then what we can do is try and figure out a way to plug those leaks. Because if someone gets back to you and let's say the first email is a question and says, hey, listen, it, it seems like we've been missing you for a few weeks now. And to be honest, I just want to make sure that this is still relevant to you. Otherwise, it's really not worth us sending it, right? You're welcome to resubscribe at any given point in time. I'm not going to actively push you off the list for at least about seven days. But can I ask a quick question? Is this still a problem for you, right? Because SaaS has the biggest opportunity for churn trials, right? If you have a 14-day trial, your trial churns within those 14 days, I would guarantee and bet the house that at least 60% of those folks, it's just from inactivity, right? It's not because the tool is not a great fit. They don't even know if it's a great fit because they haven't gotten a chance to use it. Do you extend their trial? If they actually respond and engage and say, hey, listen, like I get that. Maybe you just don't know how to use that best. And you know what? That's probably on us for the way that the onboarding looks. Here's a call with our customer service team. Like, take that, right? Go nuts. Because what that's going to do is it's going to give you, again, more of that valuable feedback over time by far. And so if you have a recovery campaign that's seven days long after every 14 days, that means is that within 21 days of someone subscribing and going cold, you will either have them back on your list with customer feedback or they'll be off. And that's okay. Unsubscribes aren't a bad thing because this is why I tell the story first. 5,000 subscribers with a more concentrated list was able to be five times as productive as a 25,000 person list with less data, less feedback, less action, things like that behind it, right? So every unsubscribe that you see is a benefit because it means your list is more concentrated. That's, that's the way that I've chosen to look at it. And it's proven well there because when we start to focus on how to have less people unsubscribe, we tend to have more diluted messaging, right? We want people to self opt out. It's much more efficient to have people who aren't a good fit self opt out than send them through to your sales team every single time and just deliver crappy leads, right? Like that's, that's the way to look at it. Yeah, definitely. I can attest to the, uh, the smaller list being powerful. I've seen it twice where the one list was 10 times bigger or the list got cut down 10 times and it was just as potent as the original list. So it's definitely a very real thing. In terms of getting feedback from these people who are potentially getting offboarded out of the list, what other questions are you asking them? Yeah, definitely. So before we talk about what questions to ask them, we talk about positioning. All right. Every single customer feedback survey that you have, I took one this morning, that is about churning off of the software while you're leaving is feedback for them. It says, what other tool are you going to? It says, why are you leaving? Why was this not a good fit? Is there any way that we can help? Would you recommend us? None of those questions are helpful to someone who's considering leaving your product. The questions that are helpful are about them is, hey, listen, what weren't you able to get from the platform that you'd like to see? Because if you get that answer to the question, Likelihood is, oh, actually, we could solve for that. I'm so sorry you didn't know that. Here's a way to check that out. You can link them to a resource or connect them to someone on their team. Another great question that you can look into asking there is like, well, is it a cost thing? Is it a pricing thing? 
right? Does this just not fit inside of your budget? Because that'll be helpful because it'll give you opportunities to either have a lower tiered plan if you have enough people who subscribe to that portion, or you introduce pricing earlier on so that you have less people get in under the guise of what they're going to be paying long-term, right? Another great way to look at it. And then the third thing that you can always do is ask for very simple qualitative feedback that's a pain in the ass to track, but it'll be well worth it in the long run. It's like, if there was one thing that was different about this software that would have made you stay, what would that be? People love giving negative feedback. They love telling you about their problems. So it's a missed opportunity when we don't give them a chance to, right? Who cares if they would recommend it to someone else if they're leaving? They're not gonna. Like, it, it doesn't matter. That's not valuable. A one to 10 sliding scale doesn't mean a thing. Knowing what other tool they're going to, who cares what competitors they're going to? You're not your competitor. What mattered to them? Where did we miss the mark? Everything is focused on how do I help you better? Because that's the kind of stuff that we just respond well to. You know, it's a relationship at that point. You feel like you're being heard instead of just packed into this square of software. Yeah. Very, very actionable advice. Second last question, just before we go. These questions, are you um, breaking them up into individual emails or are you trying to group them into a single email? Yeah, so doing them inside of the email is great. Very difficult to track. Surveys are awesome, right? I, I mean, I've thought for years, nothing against Typeform, that it's like way overpriced for what the hell it is, but it's amazing. Absolutely invaluable, right, by far. Because what it allows you to do is to segment down to two or three questions that make it easy for your user to go ahead and answer. Whether it's a quick form on a landing page or a site where they can answer one to two things, whether it's questions inside of an email, great. But the thing about getting feedback on the negative end, on the back end, we'll typically ask one question per email in two emails. And then we'll also give a link to the survey inside of it. Is a great way to do it. Cover both of your bases, right? Say, hey, listen, I want to hear this from you. If you could, please send me a quick reply to this. Or if you're truly ready to leave and you don't think there's anything we can do to help, I totally understand. I'd love for you to take this quick survey so that I can understand for the future how to better serve people like you. And then you link them to the whole survey. So let's say you've got five questions you want answered. Perfect. Send out five emails with one question apiece. Every single one of them links to the full survey at the bottom. And then quick breakup guy that sits at the back end. Wow, fantastic. Sounds very cool. Very useful to get that information. Last question, for people who want to learn more about you and Email Empire, where should they go? Yeah, I make it nice and easy. So the best way that you can learn about me, keep up with me where all the value sits is all of my free newsletter. That'll go out about five times a week, but I give you the choice. If you don't want to hear from me that often, all is totally okay. And that's just at www.emailempire.org. You can get on the newsletter there. You can go and sign up for any new events that we might have going on at that point in time. Or if you're more on the solopreneur side of things, founder side of things, and you're looking for a quick and easy way to focus on building a higher quality list that's more engaged with you, then you can check out the courses that we've got available there too. But again, everything lives and is housed at emailempire.org. You can opt in right at the top so you can start getting emails as early as today. Yeah, fantastic. I'll make sure to put links to everything in the show notes. Otherwise, Jacob, thank you so much. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Benjamin. It's been awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care.